mentioned there are snacks here from that table. Kids, vessels, goldfish, staple of every church across America. Fruit snacks. Uh, if adults, you'd like a snack, feel free to go grab one. No one's going to judge you. Go get a snack. We're going to be about 1 o'clock, so you're going to be hungry. Why the clock hey, if, uh, moving on that audacity. It says it's uh, recording. Like it looks like it's working. Please, so usually that's physical. That's fine. I really just have to go to the bathroom, honestly. Because I drink that. You want to go to the bathroom and grab a snack? Why are over there? Can we give our uh, families who served us? Can we give them a round of applause? Well, I've got a confession to make. I, I want to start off with just opening my heart to you guys so that you would be comfortable with me and I would be comfortable with you. I am struggling. Uh, I am suffering this morning from the post-Christmas blues. Is anybody with me this morning? Are you there? Oh my goodness. Three people. Good. The rest of you, scrunches. Man. I, I love Christmas. I, I love everything about Christmas. Uh, I whistle Jingle Bells year-round. Whistle, I hum it. Um, I love Christmas. I love everything that Christmas is about. Um, shout out to 98.9. I don't know if you knew this. They started playing Christmas music Halloween night. So I got the month of they, uh, November and December. Uh, we get in the car my kids with my daddy. Please, can we listen to something else? Anything else. I love Christmas. I love everything that goes along with it, too. I love the Advent season, uh, being able to read through the Advent uh, season of my family, reflecting on the coming of Jesus and the meaning of Christmas. Um, now, I love when we pass a house, and my, my son Brooks, who's four, but we see him, it's scene, he's going to go, look, Daddy, baby, Jesus. Uh, he, he does that. I, my two-year-old will see out with these giant Mickey Mouse inflatables, and he'll say, look, Daddy, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. I love that. Um, I love decorating the house for Christmas. How many of you decorated the house, like, before Thanksgiving? You know who you are. That's right. People. How many of you waited until, like, two weeks before Christmas? Okay. That's all right. How many of you did, did not just get to it this year? Just be honest. Good. Confession time, Jerry. Thank you. I appreciate that. Man, I, I love decorating a Christmas tree with the family. Um, it would help if Amy would let us have a real tree. Um, we got the fake one. Um, I guess that's okay, but that's a sort of a different time. I love making Christmas cookies. I love going to Christmas parties, getting receiving gifts. I love playing Dirty Santa and White Elephant, but I'm not sure of the difference yet. Can anybody explain this to me? What's the difference between Dirty Santa and White Elephant? I don't know, but I like playing the games. Um, I love all the Christmas movies and Christmas classics, uh, the TV specials. Um, I'm just going to stop right here. I have Okay. Um, Home Alone, let me go ahead and end the debate. It's not a Christmas movie. Can we say that? Yes, it is. No, okay. Good. It yeah, is. Uh, Christmas. No, I'm kidding. It's a great movie. I love it. I love Christmas 34th Street, Christmas Story, Elf, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Although my kids still are old enough. I can't wait to watch that with them. I love the uh, other Christmas for Christmas. Wonderful life. Um, guys, I love Christmas. Um, I also wish that they not the point and more than the Christmas tree out on the curb for pickup. Guys, I almost like, man, Christmas is over Christmas night, ain't 
He's taking out Christmas decorations. He told me to go get the tubs out of the attic. I'm like, come on, can we do some leaf weights for the next day? He said, no, literally taking down orders for off the tree Christmas night. It's all right. I love Christmas so much. Um, I can tell you right now today there are 359 more days until Christmas. Um, that's 8,615 hours approximately. So get your stuff in now. Merry Christmas. You know, with Christmas over, and, uh, we look around and think about the gifts that we received and the gifts that we gave. I have a question for you this morning. The question is simple. It's this. It's, what did you give to Jesus? And you can say, Russ, well, I wasn't thinking about that. Jesus wasn't on my list. You know? uh, besides, what do you give Jesus anyway? What do you give the person who has everything? It's the same with my dad. Jesus and my dad, they got everything. What do you give them? I've given my dad socks for 15 years. Ties. What do you give the person who has everything? You remember when you were a kid, kid you overshared adults. You get what I'm saying. When you made a Christmas list, you'd always put like things you wanted, like three or four things you wanted most at the top of the list, so that when your parents saw it, like they would know, like they wouldn't miss it. Or you wrote your letter and said, you didn't want him to miss out, so you wouldn't put the things you wanted most at the bottom of the list at the top. What were the things at the top of Jesus' list I wanted to listen to this year? Might be thinking, Russ, thanks a lot, man. Christmas is over. Where was this last week? I said, I wouldn't bring it last week. So... Christmas is almost over. It really is. We're we'll making the decorations down. I'm not happy about it. Um, but there's good news. Because I think about the gift that we can give to Jesus. It's not something we can only give on Christmas morning. The gift we're going to be talking about is something you can give to Jesus year-round. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, like, you think about the new year coming. Maybe today is the day that you will decide to give him the gift that he wants most of all. So as we say goodbye to Christmas, as we move past that, and, start a new year, I want to take one more look this morning at the Christmas story where I think we're going to see something that is so small that it's often missed. And I think when we do, I think we're going to agree that we're not being that small at all. In fact, it's going to be huge, a huge part of the Christmas story. Then we're going to see an example of a person in the Christmas story who actually gave a very special gift to God. This morning, I want to learn how we can follow their lead. The person I'm talking about this morning is Joseph. We're going to see what Joseph had to give then. And like him, we want to give a similar gift. Because it's something God wanted then, but it's also something God wants from us today. In fact, Joseph's gift and our gift have the opportunity to be so impactful that if we don't give God this gift, we don't give him the gift of talk about it. We can justifiably kind of take his hands off of our lives and say, well, look, then you figure it out. If you don't want to trust me, if you don't want to give it to me, then, then you figure things out. And, uh, but what ends up happening there, oftentimes, you know, this is true, when we try to do things on our own, we have less information. We're not trusting God. Maybe our anxiety goes up. We're not trusting God asking God to work. We limit our potential and how God's going to work in our life. Manage and do things around instead of saying, God, I trust you, God, I want you to be in my decisions. God, I want you to be in my plans. The National Sleep Foundation tells us that 56% of one out of two Americans don't have a good night's sleep on a typical work night or a typical work According to Time Magazine, 73% of American independents go online to search for health related information. 
Look specifically for sleep memories. Probably around midnight or two in the morning trying to fall asleep. Sleep deprivation, the, the ability to not sleep, not be able to fall asleep. It's a $52 billion industry. I would love to say that uh, I don't struggle with that. Sometimes I do. Laying awake in bed, struggling to sleep. A sleep expert said that one of the top three reasons that call sleep disruption is Netflix and the iPhone. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. No, it's fears about the future. Some people struggle with sleeping. It's fears about the future. They're worrying about the future. What Joseph had to give to God on that first Christmas, what we had to give God today, it makes a significant difference in our life. The gift we're talking about is this. It's giving God a future. That's the gift that you can give today. Even though Christmas is over, and it's not really a New Year's resolution, it's a decision that impacts your entire life. Now, if you're a first grader, second grader, anything right my kids are, or kindergarten, maybe third, fourth, and fifth grade, like, you're not thinking too much about the future, right? Like, you're thinking about, I don't really want to go back to school. Uh, I want to play with the toy that I got for Christmas when we go home. I want to play with my friends that I miss them, but I don't want to go back to school. The kids, uh, look at me. I want you to know, stay there. Not a worry in the world. You think you have to be not a worry in the world. Stay in school. Stay in fifth grade. Flunk next year if you have to. Okay? I got something. You don't want to Stay in school. Not playing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, if you're a middle schooler, you're probably thinking, I just want summer to get here. I want school to end as quick as possible. I want to play Xbox or uh, stay over at my friend's house and sleep in until noon. I don't want to have to do anything else. If you're uh, at high school, this is true, you know it, I know it, we don't have to talk about it, but you're probably wondering like, if the person you like knows if you like them and if they're thinking about you and thinking about whether or not they like you back. You don't mind. You don't want to talk about it. Unless you're, unless you're a junior or senior, like Ainsley, that's not me, I don't do that. Unless you're a junior or senior, you're thinking about where you're going to go to college. You don't want to go to college. You just don't even want to be in high school anymore. The second one. You want to get out. If you're a college student, any college students with us today? Anybody? Right in here? Listen, if you're in college, you're actually going to All right, you're allowed. You're like, I love life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take care of that. You're just going to college. You're crazy. Unless you're about to graduate, which you're not, you just finish your first semester. Unless you're about to graduate from college, um, then you're probably thinking about the job you're going to get, the money you want to make, right? And where you're going to live, and trust me. <laughs> if you're a parent, you're thinking, you know, my decisions, my choices, the way I'm raising my kids, am I doing a good job? Am I doing a not so good job? Am I pointing into the things of Jesus or pointing to the world now I'm raising my kids? <laughs> If you're employed, maybe you're thinking, I have a job in six months. If you're an employer, we're going to have enough business to make payroll. If you retired, you may be thinking, I've done enough, I've saved enough to be able to enjoy that time in my life. You're keeping up with current events, this whole thing between the United States and, and Israel versus the UN, North Korea, Korea, all these other things. You're thinking, man, that's crazy. Like, what's the future going to look like? Those things that keep you awake at night.
along with the ability to control future events so that he can craft a future that is for our good. So think about it. Whether whether it's in scriptures or it's in our lives, we've seen demonstrations time and again, over and over, where God is concerned about future. He couples that concern to really control future events through a craft of future that is for our good. That's why we learn to give our future. We learn to give that gift today. We can have hope for a better future in return. Here's the point. If we give our future to God, He gives us His future for our lives in return. If we give our future to God, if we give Him our plans, if we give Him our ideas in return, He gives us His future for our lives, and it's the best future we could ask for. One of the most repeated lessons that Jesus taught throughout the Gospels, six different times this phrase is repeated. It changes a little bit in the language, but the same heart message is there, and it's this. It says this, Jesus says in Luke 17, 33, it says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you let your life go, if you give it, you will save it. Now, we can take the word live and life, and we can substitute that with the word future, and can find a, an equal sense of, of urgency here, an equal sense of importance. It says this, if you would let your future go, if you would let it go, Excuse me, if you would cling to your future, if you would hang on to your future, you're going to lose it. But if you let your future go, if you will give it, you will save it. So with that future that you give, the future that you get in return, there's a hope there. And when you trust in Christ, whether, whether you're an elementary school age kid who just says, I just know Jesus is real, and I know that he loves me, or you're a teenager, you're struggling with anxiety and worry and fear, and you just want to say, I know that God, I want to trust that. Everybody. Worry and you're struggling. And when we place our future in God's hand, we don't have to worry because there's a hope that comes from trusting in Jesus. And there's a hope that burns bright and it burns high and it burns true in our lives because with the future you get from God, you also get the promise that while you may not know what's going to happen down the road, you know how things are going to work out. You can trust that He's going to take care of you, He's going to be there with you, and at the end of it, He Crafting a future for your good. So today we've got to learn how to do this. We've got to learn how do we give our future to God. Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, God, I come before you. I want to pray this morning. Father, would your spirit be with us? God, would you just hover here in this place? And we know that you love us. We know that you want our lives. We, we, we know that you want our future, our plans, and our ideas. God, our future is the greatest gift that we can give. Our very life, our eternity. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we would give you this great gift that you want most of all. Father, help us to lose our lives. Help us to let go of them. Help us to let go of our future. To give it to you. I do so see. And we trust in you, Lord Jesus, to do that. We can't do it on our own. We love you, God. We thank you this morning. All of God's people said, Amen. All right, let's take it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We're going to see how Joseph gave his future to God. And my hope is that we learn this example and, and, and choose, really learn how to choose to give our future to God today. So we're going to take a, some look at these first few verses again. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. We're going to look at the first few. We're going to see that all of us have ideas about future. That we all make plans, but there are two things that I want us to remember this morning. First, 
this, that if, again, if we have an idea of what we want, we have an idea of what we think our future should be, but the truth is, God may have other plans. He may have other ideas. Another way you can say it is this, that we may have a future plan, but God has a better future plan for us. So we may have a future plan. We may have an idea of how we think things should work out, but God has a better future plan for us. He may have other plans and other ideas that we don't even know about. He may be working in ways that we don't even see in the good and the bad, in the easy and the hard. And there's nothing wrong with us making plans. In fact, Scripture tells us that we should plan ahead. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts leads to poverty. So planning for your future is good. The Bible also says that our planning for the future can be insufficient. In fact, for every one verse in the scripture that tells us that we should not, there are six other verses that caution us about our planning. Because sometimes we know it's true. When we make plans, they're based solely on a few things like what we want, what's easy, what's best in our mind, human wisdom. Sometimes we don't get good counsel or input. We make a rush decision based on feeling. That's why grocery stores put the things right there. I always buy the little thing of Tic Tacs. Sometimes we fail. We can dedicate or, or make plans. We think we fail to dedicate our plans to the Lord. Say, God, we want you to be in this. So Proverbs 19.21 says, You can make plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. You can make them, but God's purposes are going to prevail. Another way you can say it is this, and I love this, Proverbs 16, 9. It says this, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Another version is that in the heart, man makes his plans. Excuse me. Man makes his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. I'm thankful for that. While we may have a plan for our life, God is always going to have a better plans. We make plans for our lives. We're not trusting him. We're depending on our own wisdom and our own thoughts and not trusting in who God is in our life. The truth is, we're probably going to miss it. And so, I want to look real quick at Joseph here. In verse 18, listen to, what it, listen to how it reads. It says in verse 18, the first part, Matthew 1, verse 18, this is how Jesus was, the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, marriage at this time was was a two-step process. The first step would be called the betrothal, like an engagement period for us. It's been called the betrothal. And in the betrothal, families got together and then made the determination of who their kids would marry, often without the consent of the couple. In fact, they didn't fall in love and fell in line. Right? Like, Ainsley, could you imagine, like, John and Dan trying to say, hey, we got some plans. <laughs> right? <laughs> we did. We just out that way. So, it might be somebody you know in school. Maybe it's somebody you didn't know. Maybe somebody you didn't like. Like, Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that happening? Crazy. Like, no. It's not my plan. But back then, it didn't matter. (laughs) I think you have it now. It'd be a lot worse. The only way to get out of that, the betrothal, was to have a legal divorce because it was a legal binding contract. Once you entered into the trouble, you were announced to be husband and wife. It was a waiting period of time for you to be prepared for marriage. And here's the deal. couple did not live together before they were married. They lived apart from one another. In fact, they were not allowed to have any social interaction at all. 
It was a season of preparation, get ready for married life. The second step was called the wedding ceremony or the wedding feast. They would celebrate the wedding with friends and families, and then the husband and wife would leave. They start new life together. So as we're reading verse 18, during the waiting period, during that betrothal, and Joseph is off. He's preparing for his future. He's getting ready for his new bride. He's getting ready for his new life. He's building a home, thinking about where he and his people are going to live. Doing the things that we all would do, right? Wondering, can she cook? <laughs> no. No, he's thinking about his days ahead. Right? He's, he's wondering, like, what their kids are going to be like. He's thinking about his new life. Do the same things we would. He's thinking, he's planning. And, and he has his own like, plans and, and, and envisions the way his future's going to work out. But the future he had planned quickly changes. As we see at the end of verse 18, it says this, Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle conception. Mary didn't know. Uh, she Mary did not become pregnant by conventional means. It's a supernatural NLT. Everything about a pregnancy, though, after that was natural. Right? She went through the trimester. She was sick. Somebody had to run down and, and, and get the food that she liked. She showed. So when we're reading this, I'm reading through the, the, the New Living Translation where it says that she became pregnant. Other translations would take a literal, more literal meaning to that word from the Greek text and, you know, where it says she became pregnant. So if you're looking at the ESV or the NIV, you might say that she was found to be pregnant. That's important because she's found to be pregnant. That's an important clue about what's happening. Because listen, Joseph didn't know. We know that for two reasons. Remember, they're in the waiting period, so they're not allowed to have any social contact. And certainly, they couldn't be in a room together where Mary could say, hey, guess what? This angel showed up. Plans are changing. We couldn't have had that conversation. And then second, we see in Luke 1 that as soon as the angel announced that you're going to be selected, you've been selected as the mother of the Christ, and the miracle that conception happens, like, she says, well... Let it be unto me, as she was spoken. Immediately after that, Luke 1 tells us that she went and visited her cousin. So she's out of town. And she's been there for several months. And, and maybe four, five, six months later, she comes back into Nazareth. <clears throat> Showing. Different than how she left. And Joseph finds out like everybody else. <laughs> the rumors. Come to see out the hard way. Listen to verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, the man to whom she was engaged to be married, was a good man. Literally, he was a righteous man. I mean, he did things the right way. He did things God's way. But he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And because he didn't have this extra information of knowing what happened to her, he just assumed that she'd be with another man. And so he didn't want to go through the second stage of the wedding. Of the marriage. He, he was hurt. And I love this. He was hurt, but he wasn't harsh. He was hurt, but he wasn't harsh. And, and listen, his plan to divorce her, it wasn't wrong. But it, it was okay. By, by legal standards, he could have done that. It just wasn't the God, the plan that God had crafted. And the verse tells us he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break it quietly. I think that right there could be a sermon alone. Just to see the way Joseph responded 
And oftentimes when things don't work out the way we want, when something happens, plans change, we respond in anger or heartbreak. And so then there's this spirit of revenge. And right there, Joseph, it shows us he was a righteous man. He did things the right way. Talk about that, just about how to live when things don't work out. Listen to verse 20. It begins to show us just how anxious, anxious Joseph was about the future. This verse 20 says, as he considered this, and notice that word considered this, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Literally, stop fearing. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Theologians tell us that that terminology considered, you can exchange words like this, just so I can paint a picture for how he's struggling with this. He agonized over it. He's intensely conflicted. He's grief-stricken. He's disturbed. The woman that he had been announced to be married before his, his town, before his people, she had gone off and done this thing. And so there he is, he's, he's laying in bed, and he's, he's Considering it, he's agonizing over it, he's hurt, he's disturbed. Paints his picture that as he's wrestling with his future, maybe he's thinking some of these things. Like, I can't believe it turned out this way. I had a plan, I had a dream, and this isn't it. Can you relate to that? Laying in bed, worrying about the future, the future can be tomorrow. It might be next week. It might be a month from now. The sleepless nights where you're just, you're just worried. You don't understand why something's happening. You're not sure how you're going to fix it. You ever been there? I have. Eventually, Joseph, he falls asleep. And God speaks to him in a dream. And in that moment, Joseph gets new information. And he learns that even though He's made a plan for his life, for his family. God has thoughts about his life as well. Which is often the case, God's plan is very different sometimes than ours. You ever find that out? I went to school, I wanted to be a sports agent, to pursuing a sports uh, degree from the University of Tennessee, a sport management degree. And my plan was I wanted to make money doing something I, I love, talking about sports and working with people. I needed a semester internship to graduate. And I met this sports agent who came, and then I got to meet him at the school, and then we, we hit it off. We started talking, and um, I got to know him. His, his like, life was great. His life was not great. His life was great on the outside, but really it wasn't. He had a wife, two kids. He told me he was getting a divorce. I remember asking him the question, man, what is the why? He's like, I just can't live this life and have this life too. Remember that. I knew he wanted that lifestyle. But I knew I was running out of options. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. This is my plan. This is what I wanted to do. I remember a friend of mine talking about this Christian sports camp called Crosspoint. It's kind of working in something called Citrus Camp. We've taken our our children there the last few years. Kids camp. And I I remember looking into it. I thought, that's going to be cool. I'll go do this for for a semester. I'll graduate. And I'll go get the job doing what I wanted to do. So I got accepted on the, the staff to go work. Halfway through the summer, right, I'm, I'm rolling through, I think I'm going to graduate. I get a, a phone call from my advisor, and she says, Russ, this internship, it's not going to work. It's not going to be allowed to be used as your semester internship to graduate. 
So, like, I can't. Like, I began to worry, because I told my parents, like, I'm graduating. People knew it. And, and like, I began to, to literally just freak out. I got scared. It was a disruption to what my plan was in my future. I started thinking, like, i got to figure this out. How am I going to make this work? I need to figure this out. I started making plans and thinking about how I could fix it. With only a few weeks left in the summer, this guy named Randy Ballard comes to camp. He was an activities minister from a church in North Carolina. Um, and, man, he was this tall, bald-headed man. He was, he was super intense, but like a big teddy bear. And that week that he came, um, I had to go to basketball for kids all summer. But there was a group of kids who had signed up to play team handball. Does anybody know what team handball is? Good. You and me, Jared, and you. You know what it is? Good. The three of us, we go play a game. But listen, team handball. This group had come from his church and wanted to play team handball. No one knew what it was. I was selected to go and do it. So here I was, this college kid, didn't know anything about it. Uh, Randy had played in college, so he took it seriously. And I'm trying to teach kids how to throw this ball and throw it into the net. It's kind of like soccer with a, a small ball. And then we hit it all. We hung out that week, and I remember telling him all about my plans. He left at the end of the week. And within a matter of days, he had called me. He said, Russ, I've got this internship set up for you. I've raised a salary for you. You're going to find a place to live. I got, you're going to live with this family from my church. Come and intern with me. We're going to do sports for youth and kids, or just youth and adults. So I called my advisor, and sure enough, University of Tennessee allowed a church internship to go toward um, my, my degree, which I don't know, that's huge. They would allow a ministry job to count as an internship. So I spent a fall semester in Charlotte, North Carolina, interning in the recreation ministry with a guy that I met on the team handball court in the middle of West Virginia. I didn't stop there. I got to serve in student ministry where I, I taught. I served as a, a leader. I went on trips. I sat in on every staff meeting. I was basically on staff at the church. It's a deal. God was working. About two months into the internship, Randy's oldest daughter at Appalachia State had a seizure and died. And I'm going to tell you, being there, being around that, it was, it was hard, as you can imagine. It was but God used that time in my life to confirm that that is what I was going to do. That I was going to serve in ministry. God used that time to speak to me and to Randy. In fact, a couple of years later, after Amy and I, about a year after Amy and I met, we got married, and Randy showed up at my, my wedding. And I'll never forget what he told me. We talked about it openly. He said, he said, Russ, God knew what he was doing, didn't he? God had a plan all along. And that's, an inc that's incredible. It blew my mind. Because that's how God works. He works in incredible ways. And so God said, look, you're going to work with people. And you're going to do you're going to work around sports, and you're going to work with students, but it's not going to be doing what you want. It's going to be what I have planned for you. So, I just look back on that. I just see that 
well, I had my plans. Well, we have our plans, our future planned out. God has a better future plan for us. That's my first point. I want you guys to remember that. Here's the second one. Is this, is that as we, as we see and follow Joseph's story, he learns to give God his future. Is this, is that our future is uncertain. That while it's uncertain, God is certainly in our future. That while our future is uncertain, God is certainly in our future. Everyone's future is uncertain, right? Like, we would like to think we have it figured out. And we know how things are going to go. How we're going to fund our retirement. Or if you're a young parent, you know exactly how your kids are going to turn out. Well, you know. I'm learning that. If you're newlywed, think, man, it's going to be happily married after that. Like, I'm married to my best friend, married happily ever after. But things change. Like, one downturn in the economy changes things, changes your lifestyle, the way you live. One phone call at midnight changes things. One checkup at the doctor's office can change things. One text message says we need to talk and change things. Our future is delicate, they're uncertain. But one thing that never changes God. God is in our future. He is certain, and He is certainly in our future. And so, as we look at this next section in Matthew, starting in verse 21, listen to this. The angel makes this announcement to Joseph. And I want you to take note of how many times that we read the word will. Okay? So count with me. It's coming on the screen. Count with me how many times we see the word will. You ready? And she will. That was, I'm sorry. I need more than half a group. I got half a participation. I'm going to go. Half a participation. Here we go. Ready? Don't worry about it. Just put and it she will have a son. You are the name of Jesus, for he saved his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. Look, the virgin conceived a child, and she. Give birth to a son, and they call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Five different times we read the word will. How can the angel be so certain of what God's going to do in the future? It's because God has a very special relationship with time. He's a great idea. God has a very unique relationship with time because he is the great idea. Just underline that. Think about the implications that say I am. We, we live in a world that is governed by length and height, depth and time. And God exists in it, but also oversees that of the world. He exists in a different dimension known as eternity. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity time to come. He's not limited by the things that limit us. He's outside of the boundaries that bind us. Even the borders of time, past, present, and future. He's a great idea. He is. I think one of the things that I tried to figure out a way to show you is just, let me see if I, I tried to give you this illustration. So let's just let this serve as a timeline. And as I'm holding it, let it represent all of time. Beginning of time. Present. Future. We can pick, we can pick one point on it to, to pick where we are. Right? If we can pick one point on this timeline and say, here's where we are in life. And, and that point of reference, we would know the past, we would know the present, and we would hope for the future. But we have a limit. <coughs> Knowledge of knowing we're just at that point. But God's present in all of it. God's present in all of it. He's omnipresent. So, for you middle schoolers, you're thinking you're never going to get out of school, you will. And, and, and for you parents, you high schoolers that seem like they're never leaving home, they will. You'll miss it. If you think about that, mm. you need to understand that 
He experiences, God experiences everything but it's not limited by it. He holds time in his hand, but he's not bound by it. So we thank God that he is Emmanuel. Pick a place, any place on, on time, any place on the timeline, and he's there with us. And not only is he there with us, he's out in front of us. And he's working there for our future, for our good. The prophet Ezekiel, he says this in 
we give him our future, we're going to get in return the very best future we could hope for. Follow Joseph's lead as we finish our, our scripture this morning. We look at the last two verses. Verses 24 and 25. It's going to help us to see how we give God our future. It says this, when Joseph woke up, he did, excuse me, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife. He did not know her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now there's three quick action steps I want to, I want to cover. Three quick things that I see we can learn of how Joseph gave his future to God and how we can learn from him. Here's the first one. If you want to give your future to God, you have to obey now. That's one of the hardest things to do is obeying God now without being focused on the future. Obedience is the key that will unlock our future. Notice Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He obeyed. See, giving, your, giving God your future starts with obeying now, doing the things God tells you to do now. And so moms, dads, and little kids, we're, we're raising our kids. We think about our, our children's ministry, our student ministry, our family ministry here at Christ Church. We know that we want to point them to, to all things Jesus. So every month in our children's ministry, Rihanna is leading our kids with a different biblical uh, attribute to point them to the character of God and the character of Jesus and how we can, we can learn to be like him. And so we send these things called parent cues out to help parents to have intentional conversations with these kids to talk to them about what does God want for their life? How can we obey God now and trust him moving into our future? The same thing with our, our teenagers. We have small group leaders who are an additional voice of truth that come alongside parents so that when, when that teenager, who you knows this works this way, doesn't want to listen to mom and dad, maybe they'll listen to that adult who's been consistently involved in their life about whether or not they should date this person or if they should do this or choose to do that or surround themselves with these kinds of people. But when they make a mistake and they're terrified, they can tell mom or dad, I trust you because you've been in my life. Smart leader has a relationship with mom and dad, and so that student doesn't go alone. The student doesn't have to face anxiety and worry and fear alone. We get to do that with a, a people group who come together. We're like minded to point our kids to Jesus by obeying now. A great example of that in scripture is the children of Israel, just a few steps away from the promised land, the promised future. There's this barrier between their future and what God has for them is the Jordan River, and the river's flooded, and it's moving too swift to cross. They want to move into their future, but there's that barrier. So God says, listen, I can take care of that. I'll, I'll do it similar to Red Sea, but I'm not going to just breathe this blast of air and separate like I did the Red Sea. You're going to have to trust me. And so he says, as soon as the, the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as they place their sandal, as soon as they step into the, the Jordan River by faith, they obey me, I'll separate the water. And that's exactly what they did. So they obeyed their way to the future. And they did what God told them to do. And for us, that's what we need to learn. We need to learn how to obey now. We don't get caught up about what's happening down the road. How do we obey what God's doing now and telling us to do now in our life? So that's the first step is obeying now. Here's the second one. It's believe in faith. Believing in faith. Believing in and stepping toward what God has for you by faith. Many theologians point out that Joseph doesn't look at the Christmas story, right? But one intentionally says, hey, his faith was just as strong, if not remarkably stronger than Mary's. He had the trust that this woman had actually been, had this miracle conception. And so he demonstrates this incredible faith moving toward his future with that strong belief in God. 
So strong it says that he did not know her until his son was born. As far as we know, Scripture doesn't tell him to do that. He just did it as an act of faith because he knew God was doing something big. And he didn't want the, the paternity of Jesus to be questioned. So he waited to do what was his right because he had faith. How many of us get ahead of what God's doing? Instead of trusting in his timing and his plan, we want to go do our own thing. Oftentimes that just causes more issues and more problems. So he waited. He said, God, I'm going to trust you. He stepped toward God in this incredible way. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2 9. It says, No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's our future. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. God is prepared to do something huge in and through us for those who know him and love him and work for his good. We've got to step toward him with this big faith to trust that because sometimes what will happen, here's what happens, we know our future's coming and we see maybe what God's doing but maybe along the way we just take our eyes off him so we move toward it grumbling or complaining. I see this in my kids all the time. Like, I know it's for your good. Right? right? Like, I know it's for I know it's for his good. He doesn't trust me. He doesn't believe me. Well, you're going to need a jacket today. Step outside today. He sneezed and he froze. Um, <laughs> trust him. we got to trust God. we got this big faith that he sees the bigger picture. That while we're at this point on the timeline, he knows what's coming ahead because he's already there. You can't get distracted by looking and seeing what everyone else is doing, what their life is doing. That's one of the things I hate about Facebook and Instagram. I love the things that connect us, but it also paints this false picture of the real future and the real uh, what's really going on in people's lives. So we think, well, thank God, life that good. Why is my life not that good? And then we start complaining. We get jealous. We get envious. So we just got to have faith and say, God, I know that you're I know that your best is better than my best. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step towards you and believe in faith. And here's the third and final thing is this. We've got to learn to agree with God. Joseph agreed with God. If that's how you give your future to God, you obey now, you believe in faith, and you agree with God. Agreeing with God means you align yourself with the future God is crafting for you. Joseph agreed with God. He named his son Jesus. That's a big deal. Typically in this culture, you would name your first son after you. Sons were named after their dad. They were trained in their dad's craft, so their future would be set. They wouldn't have to worry. So when Joseph named his son Jesus, it's his way of saying, I'm not going to follow the plan that I had. I'm going to trust in the plan that God has. I'm going to align myself with the future God has for me. I'm going to name him Jesus. We have to learn to choose to agree with God about our future. To learn how to align ourselves with the future God is crafting for us and come into that future and lean into that future and trust Him. Because the reality is, our choice to agree with God is not easy, right? It's going to be challenged by people, it's going to be opposed, it's going to be tested. Along the way, you're going to begin to doubt it. So you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith that God is working. I think about, think about uh, Westerns, I love. Old time shows, old time movies. There's this one episode where the group just traveled west and hit the Rocky Mountains. And someone just said, That's enough for us. We're not going any further. Like they were moving west to pursue their hopes, their dreams, and they just stopped. They set up a place there. That place is known as Denver. Have you ever been to Denver? You know anything about Denver? There's no reason we should be there, other than the fact that it's right there the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> 
and you want to go further. So here's the truth. Sometimes, and maybe you're there right now, if there's that rocky mountain, like those mountains are in your life, and God says, you got to speak to that mountain. you got to say, God, move this mountain in faith. And it might be your, you might be at work, and you have this incredible opportunity, right, and your boss is in the way of that. you got to say, God, would you just please change his attitude? Help me to come under the authority that you placed in me in my, in my work, my workplace. Help me to do a great job, work with integrity, be a person of character, and not worry about whether or not I'm getting away with the island. Maybe your marriage. Your marriage isn't the place you want to be. It's not what you thought it was going to be. So you need to speak to the mountain and say, God, I need you to change your heart. God, you please change the way that he thinks. God, I'm going to trust that your future is better than the one that I'm thinking for myself. I'm going to trust that you're at work in this. You're, you're retired and you're thinking, God, what is it all for? God, what was it for? I, my kids are married off. And what was it for? Can I, can I tell you, I'm 36 years old. Is that right? <laughs> I'm 36 years old. I would love, I would love for some men in our church to come alongside my wife and I and say, it's going to be hard. The future's hard, Russ. When you get a teenager, it's hard. I know it is. I work with them. And trying to get a kid to college is hard. How cool would it be if the Thomases who have a daughter about to go to college and a daughter in a, a freshman in high school, they've got a middle school or an elementary school. How cool would it be if some of you guys who have been through that would come and say, listen, I know it's hard, but let me come alongside you. Let me align myself with you and encourage you and pray with you and know that the future's going to be okay because God's there. And while it seems uncertain, God is certainly in our future. Now, what would it look like if we did that? The church would be a different place. It wouldn't be a, a, a building that came and we sat in and, and, and said hello to. How are you? I'm good, good, I'm good. No, it would be a place. Let me get in your life. Let me be intentional. Let me love you well. Let me pray with you well. Let me cry with you. Let me laugh with you. That's what the church is supposed to be. People of faith who are seeking Jesus Bringing others with them. You got kids this morning. They have just taken their eyes off God. They've been raised in the church. They've been praising God. Would you please bring them back to you? Give them your future. You've got to obey. You've got big faith. You've got to say, I'm going to agree with you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This morning, Lord, this this is so true for me. This, as I'm as I'm preaching this this morning, God, I know this is for me too. God, I want to I want to control my future. I, I get so caught up in the now, but I'm preoccupied with the now, and I want what's coming, but I forget to obey now. Maybe we've got some people like that today, Father. Maybe we've got some people today, Father, that they're just struggling to have faith in you. To trust that you're there, that you're working. We got some people this morning just struggling to align ourselves and agree with you, God, and say that yes, we trust that your future is good. Father, this morning, as the band plays, I, I want to give you a time to work. Lord, I want to give the Spirit of God to move in this place. Hearts in this room this morning, they're open to you, Father. Father, I, I pray that this morning, that there's people in this room, Lord, God, they would just be honest. Maybe they're worried, they're struggling to give their future to you. 
just struggling to remember that you are for their good. And that you're with them now and you're out in front of it. We just need to learn to trust you. Would you give them the courage to let go? To not cling to their future or their plan the way they thought life should go, but to say, God, okay, I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I'm going to trust God that you're working in this morning, there are some people here today. There's people here today who say, Russ, I've never given my eternal future to God. And, Lord, and, and this morning, God, you would say that today is the day for them to place their future in you. I want to come to know Jesus as my Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray. And you can pray right where you are. If you want to pray and receive Christ, you want to say, I want to give God my eternal future. I don't want to. I don't want to let it hang in the balance. I don't want to hope my good outweighs my bad. I don't want to hope that God just is a gracious God who loves me, so he, He's going to let me spend eternity with me. If you would say, Russ, I know I'm a sinner. I need God. So, right there, I pray the best you can. I'm going to pray a prayer. And maybe you want to pray it just to your heart, to yourself, to receive Christ as your Savior, because you know that you need Him. Go like this and just tell him, God, I'm a sinner. I hate mistakes. I know I do. He knows. I'm telling you. I'm a sinner. And I deserve death and hell for my sin. I don't deserve to be with you who are perfect, God. But thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for me, that he paid the purity for my sin. So I trust in his life and his death and his resurrection that I can trust in you in my eternity. So I open my life, I open my heart up to you and receive you as my Savior this morning. God, come into my life, come into my heart and change me. Say, that's you this morning. Tell him. Maybe there's some of you here today and you've been a follower of Jesus, but you just taken your eyes off of him. Right? Like you just, you got to that point where just trying to do things on your own, but you're tired. Say, God, I'm tired of doing it by myself. Now, I'm going to come back to you. It's a sheep here, it's a shepherd's voice. God, you're speaking to him. Let him respond. God, I'm going to be down front. If there's anyone who has anything to pray about, you may pray to receive Christ. I pray that they would let that down. Let me encourage them. I want to pray with them. I want to let them know that it's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of their story. It's the beginning of their new future. In Christ. So I want to encourage with that. If there's someone here today who wants to come, I want to be baptized. I want to identify with, with the Christian faith and the God that I follow. I've never done that. I want to publicly proclaim the decision to trust in Christ. If there's some other people here today, they just want to be prayed for and encouraged. And if there's some things going on that has nothing to do with the future, it might be today, it might be later this afternoon. And they want someone just to be prayed, just to pray over them. I, I want to align with you. I want to agree to pray with you. So as we stand in just a moment for a time of response and worship, come. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you. God, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you work in your way. In Jesus' name, all God people said, amen. Stand.